Welcome to the Cybersecurity and Cloud Podcast, the podcast where we learn from cybersecurity experts how to stay safe, private, and secure on the cloud and in code. CSCP is hosted by Francesco Cipollone, your cybersecurity friend with a passion for all things cyber and sharing stories of other professionals with you. This episode is sponsored by AppSec Phoenix, the next generation application security platform, enabling organizations to run application security programs in a smart way. Visit www.appsecphoenix.com to learn more. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Cybersecurity and Cloud Podcast. Uh, this is your host, Francesco, and today we have the absolute pleasure to have on the podcast a person that's probably you hear and see me interacting on LinkedIn quite a lot, a uh, breaker of barriers, a breaker of a gatekeeper, an inspirational woman in cyber. Naomi, thank you so much for coming on the show. Hi, Francesco. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Thank you so much. But Naomi, for who the few people on LinkedIn and on social that doesn't know you, and what do you do? Can you give our audience a little bit of background about you, what you do, and what is uh, the passion that driven you into cyber? Oh yeah, well sure. I, I you know I love talking about myself. Not kidding. Uh, for for those of you who don't know me, I'm sure there are many many people who don't know me. But for like the very few people who do know me, this is how I usually introduce myself. Uh, my name is Naomi. Hi. And I've been in cyber and technology for over 20 years. I have a background in application development starting all the way back in 1998, I would say, uh, but moved on from there into application security, a very natural evolution um, from there and engin- security engineering, security architecture and uh, incident response. And now I'm doing th- the, my third role as a security leader for a small and mid-sized business called Beam Technologies, where our mission is to do smarter dental care for all Americans. So I am here and I'm also the executive director of a nonprofit called Cybersecurity Gatebreakers. I do hope you join us. But the idea is to change the hearts and minds of people within the industry who might be hiring managers or executives to help them understand that it's important and easy to hire and train the next generation of cybersecurity professionals. And so to me, there is no skills gap because I think there's plenty of people who are potentially amazing contributors if we just gave them a chance. I believe there's no skills gap. I do believe there is a demand gap or a lack of demand for entry-level cybersecurity people, true entry-level cybersecurity people, Francesco, yes. not like people <laughs> with the unicorn status of the five years of experience, right? So we see this a lot. I, I'm happy to talk about it and how we can break down the gates, but that's me. Hello. No, absolutely. Thank you for coming on the show and, you know, this is, it's also my mission to actually uh, fill the cybersecurity gap because I absolutely agree with you. We have a gap and sometimes we have over-expectation even for entry-level role that maybe don't need the, as an entry-level role uh, CSSP or like 400 certification as we can see. <laughs> yeah, and, and um, we've just evolved to the point where we don't need that anymore. It might have been true 10 to 20 years ago that you did need sysadmin, help desk, you know, any kind of network engineering. That would have been helpful. But we're at this point where there's so many different subspecialties and these, so many subdomains within cybersecurity that you don't need to be an expert in anything before you can get started. So that's my challenge to the industry is like, can we build up our numbers? Because it's essentially the reason why we're losing the war on cybercrime. It's because, because of this asymmetric war where one malicious bad actor 
can do so much damage. Mm-hmm. We don't have enough defenders in our ranks to be able to stop those from happening. And just take a look at any of the most recent breaches in the news, Francesco, like the Colonial Pipeline. One APT group did all that damage to the entire Eastern Seaboard. I was affected. I was one of them to the yeah. United States, right? So we need we need to think about this critically. How are we hurting ourselves, shooting ourselves in the foot, making it more stressful for our jobs and burning out uh, because we refuse to hire and train the next generation? I think we're doing ourselves a disservice. And as I keep rambling here, please feel free to stop me. But I think <laughs> we all have we all have a role to play here. It doesn't matter if you're a hiring manager or an individual contributor. If you're just a consultant or a contractor, you have a voice. You have something to say. And if you see a problem, say something, right? We all have a responsibility. And I hope that if you're listening, you're probably like, you've heard this from me before and from others, but I really want you to take it to heart too. just have something that you can do to help build up that next generation, whether you are personally mentoring someone, Mm -hmm. maybe helping them study for the CompTIA Security Plus. If you're doing anything like that, great. Like what else can you do? What else can you do, right? Every one of us can do one more thing just to help help win the war on cybercrime. And I see it as a selfish kind of thing. Like I will just keep talking until you stop me, Francesco. But no, um, I, like You're I want all the right things. <laughs> okay, uh, good. Um, so you know, I kind of want to see a future where we where cybercrime is just less impactful to everyday people. And so, if you see the continuous bleed between the virtual world and the physical world, it's not just data that's being stolen; it's real people's lives that are being mm-hmm. affected. There's a story out in the Midwest, United States, where there's a police station that was hacked and some crime scene photos were stolen and some, you know, like murder scenes, pictures like Mm -hmm. that, Uh, they got stolen and everything. And the criminals said, you know, if we, if you don't pay us this ransom, it's just a different type of ransom. uh, If you don't pay us this ransom, we're going to release these photos. And so the police officers, they said, well, we don't have that money. We can't pay the $20 million that you're asking for and say, go ahead, do whatever you need to. Right. Like, first of all, that's a terrible decision, but what else are they going to do? So, so the criminals, what do they do? They're not going to get their money because no one's willing to pay. So they went to the victim's families and said, they said, if you don't pay us this money, we are going to release this crime scene photos of your loved ones. And so now the victim's families are double inflicted with this crime, right? Like first they lost their family members to this gruesome crime. And then the second time is when the cyber criminals decided to release the photos of their loved ones. I think we are... they're getting clever and more clever on on treating it as a business because mm-hmm. ransomware is on the rise and yeah. is getting more and more clever on targeting like weaker subject rather than you know they're not going to target well we, we just had the news of Accenture being targeted and uh, the ransomware of 50 million uh, mm-hmm. or more accounting depending on who the source is but you know as as you rightfully mentioned the pipeline it was critical national infrastructure, Mm -hmm. it affected millions of people. So right now it affects everyday's lives. And attackers are getting more and more sophisticated in in targeting, you know, weaker organization. And I was discussing with uh, one of my next guests, JJ, that actually deals with a lot of uh, smaller enterprise where you maybe don't have any security people. You maybe have just generic business people. And the, 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 the problem is that they say, I don't know where to start. Mm-hmm. And this affects them in such a drastic way. So I think ransomware is, is, is getting to a point where it's becoming a national problem where you need to yeah. kind of guarantee the minimum level of security or training or you know support uh, for mm-hmm. every business and not by just having a certification, but really by you know getting everybody business into that kind of frame of mind yes. on securing their system or, or having at least a support in some sense. What yes. 
Oh, I agree. Absolutely. So you're building a line of defense just wherever you are within the business, wherever you sit, whether you have that full-time security title or not. You're right. 99.7% of all US businesses are small and mid-sized mm-hmm. or fewer than 500 employees. So if you think about it from that way, a lot of people have jobs that probably should be or should have a full-time security person on their team. And for the small and mid-sized businesses, like I don't have the data here, but I'm going to guess a large majority of those small and mid-sized businesses do not have a full-time security person or no, professional on their team. Right. And I can tell you from personal experience, I was the first hire for three companies in mm-hmm. security. So I know exactly what, and these are established companies. They've been around for, uh, one has been around for 10 years. One has been around for uh, six years, right? And so by the time I had joined, the business process is already up and running, operations clicking. Now the security person comes in and tries to change all this, right? Or <laughs> add security layers on top. And that's kind of, it's it's just a catch-22. It's like, what's a good time to bring in a full-time security professional? But here's the good news, right? And this is what you're talking about, Francesco. People within the business are already doing security, or at least they should be, but maybe they just don't have the right way of architecting something. Like for example, how many endpoints do you have with public interfaces, right? Like how many of your endpoints are public facing? Everything. Like for, right. <laughs> right. So, so like, uh, like let's take that away. Like let's, you know, put a NAT instead of just your web servers out there. Like just start thinking critically about what we're doing with our architecture. And, uh, but not a lot of people know that in the business, particularly business people, right? They just want it to, to be working and to have mm-hmm. it running And so security is out there to really make sure it continues to run, but in a secure way and manage the risk for the business. And so the more we see this and the more the business understands that ransomware and the the, the data breaches, it affects lives. And this is what I want to get to. Do you know when APT Group asked for $50 million in ransom, where do you think they're spending that money? $50 $50 million. You think they're going to Costco and Target? (laughs) No, probably they are spending it in, I don't know not very legal activities. There or... you go. Yes. They're, they're doing more crime. Like, yes. And so where, where would more crime be? Think about human trafficking, uh, illegal trading, right? For arms and things, drugs, uh, all the other nefarious things that I can't think of right now, but there are real lives as a consequence well, that are affected from this. Though. Do you, there's been a long debate, especially here in the UK with few of the friends in the industry of, okay, what do you do with uh, the ransom? Do you just deny the ransom as a business? Do you just say, you know, no, I'm not going to pay the ransom. I'm going to survive. But as a business, if that cripples you, you know, mm-hmm. life's at stake in both yeah. ways. So yeah. It's a very tough decision. It is. It's so hard. It really is. And I, I feel bad for any company that has been hit by ransomware. But, you know, just they don't know this, but, you know, you're not just purchasing the decryption keys at this point. You still have to set it. You have to you decrypt all your data first, get your systems back up and running. So you still have a lot of work to do on top of paying for the ransom. And so think about it that they... way. Like, yeah, you don't even know if it works or are they, are they going to encrypt it again? Like, you don't know if you've cleaned them out of your system. So there's a whole nother level of work that you still have to do. So why not just start from scratch. Like hopefully you have some sort of disaster recovery. You have some copies of your database out there that you can actually stand back up your environment. Like I would probably go that route first before paying the ransom and thinking it's magic Mm -hmm. key because it's not, you still have months of work just to make sure everything's cleaned up and ready to go. Absolutely. And you know, if if there is one line of defense of everything is just back everything up. (laughs) Yeah. Just back everything up. And remember your replicas are not your database backup. So uh, your encrypted databases will also become your encrypted replicas. So very, be very careful what you're doing there. 
And that's just the takeaway. Um, yeah. So it, it's the same thing. It's like for bi- the business, if they understand the importance mm-hmm. and the risk, and that's where the information security professional comes in, they under- they help translate the risk to business terms. And so a good information security professional can speak both languages. They can be very mm-hmm. technical and they can also speak in the language of the business. And so and that's the, the challenge. Mm-hmm. I guess that's the challenge of a lot of uh, people in the industry. And especially, as I said, application security is, is, is the diamond of uh, security people, security engineering, because you need to know so much about mm-hmm. so many things and then be business relatable. So you need Relatable, to you need right? to have really a lot of talent. That's why there is the shortage. But not mm-hmm. everybody needs to be that CISO or that business relationship or can learn from a CISO mm-hmm. from a leaders like you, like a lot of people in the industry that are, are doing uh, mentoring, or if they don't do mentoring, maybe they do podcasting. There are so many ways and avenue to learn about cybersecurity these days. Yeah. And I hope we are in that point in our evolution that we are making it easier Like, because if it's not easy to do, then we, then that's a problem also. Like, so let's just assume for a minute that you do need five years of experience to start in cybersecurity. Let's just assume that's true. What does that mean for the rest of us? Like, does that mean that it's going to be always this difficult that it's not easy to understand? What does that mean for the business people that we're trying to help translate things to? Why are we making it so difficult for ourselves? And we're by, you know, intuition, no, uh, uh, implications of the business folks also having a hard time understanding technology because we haven't gotten to this point now that common languages aren't understood or frameworks aren't understandable, right? We are now at the point in our evolution as the information security community or industry that we can share the information and we can understand it in a way that doesn't take a master's degree and a CISP. Like we are at this point. I want to pick you on that subject because I think we are, uh, th- there are two co- two sides of the, the same coin. There is the aspect that technology is running so fast, we're making it simple, but also we're making it more and more complex, introducing new concepts, new technology, and the framework, as you rightfully say, it needs to consistently change. So as, as the programming language are changing, as the infrastructure are changing, as the landscape is changing, and as mm-hmm. the attacker are changing methodology, mm-hmm. The cybersecurity framework change all the time. I mean, if you mention it, we have PCI DSS that uh, for no matter of reason is compliance is security. And that's usually my standpoint. But we had it, we had so many frameworks that even knowing where to start this challenge. <laughs> that's a good point. Yeah. Like one framework to rule them all, you just have another framework, right? <laughs> like it's I just NIST, another one. <laughs> my my go-to is generally speaking in NIST. Oh, I love NIST. Framework. Yeah. NIST, ISO, CSF, those are really good ones. But I would say, like in general, I think security principles never change. Like you're thinking about principle of least privilege and right. and, and stuff like that, right? Like so, you uh, th- that usually doesn't change. And I was I have a book when I started back in security, like 2006. My company actually published a copy of the Information Security Forum's mm-hmm. uh, guide to information security good practice. It's it's right there, sitting on my shelf. And I was looking through it the other day. I was like, how much of this is still true, right? This is pretty old by now. And I was pleasantly surprised. Like some of the stuff is kind of old now. Like, uh, what was I thinking? Some of the on-prem stuff no longer applies, right? Like uh, voice over IP, there was like a whole section on that. But there was like some stuff where I'm like, okay, yeah, this is, this is still pretty true. Like there's a lot there that they are still smart, like remove local admin from your computers uh, mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So the security principles don't change, but yeah, you're right. At the detailed level, you're going to have a lot more complexity. But I think in general, it's easy enough for regular people to understand. They just need a chance to 
get some hands-on work, give them a safe space to learn. So if they do make a mistake, it doesn't take down production, right? And, and I've done this with people where I take someone who is just, you wouldn't think they'd be good. Like for example, my, um, my intern, who is now my full-time person, but she came in as an opera singer and she mm-hmm. taught English wow. to foreign students, right? Like this was her background. She had absolutely no tech experience. I hired her for the exact same reason because I didn't want her to have tech experience. I wanted her to have diversity of thought, just a way of thinking critically about a, a problem. And she's been crushing it. She passed her security plus within two months. She is currently a junior cybersecurity analyst who is working at above, at least one level above what I was hiring, hiring her to do. Nice. I've hired her to do. So she's doing really well. And just because it's not that hard. Like if you're if you're a smart person and you have the resources and you have a teacher. You have all those three things, and you have a good like environment to learn in. Mm-hmm. Then you can do anything. And and this person is a digital native, Generation Z, very <laughs> comfortable with technology. Can Google with the best of them. Understands how password managers work, right? And she has good security hygiene. So uh, these are all the things that I think I see in a lot of people. And if we, she's not any more special or different than anyone. I took an opera singer. I was able to do this. Why not somebody who was already training on their own and building right. a home lab in AWS? Find someone like that. They are already passionate. Trust me. What are you? What are you afraid of? You're afraid of spending time and growing this person that they'll leave. Well, if you treat them right, then they won't leave. This episode is brought to you by the generosity of AppSec Phoenix Limited. AppSec helps startups and enterprises solve complex software security problems by using smart data aggregation and complex machine learning software. Discover how AppSec Phoenix helps CISO and developers remove friction and maximize the use of DevSecOps professionals at www.appsecphoenix.com. AppSec Phoenix is the new and smart dev-first way to manage your software vulnerability. Follow the tag, hashtag AppSecSmart. I'll give you a story. We hired a cybersecurity recruiter and mm-hmm. they are they have a very good understanding of the kind of industry and the various areas and the various aspects of, of cyber. Or we hired, you know, ex-engineers that, and, and sometimes we found um, like probably physical engineers, like uh, hard label workers that's uh, converted into, into the, the engineering environment. And, and sometimes they're much more hardworking because they are, committed to it they they they, they want to show a passion so sometimes they're much better and much more humble than people that maybe have studied years and years and years and for entry-level job you you kind of need those people and you need that passion especially like, like us if you are a startup or or a small enterprise you need that kind of level of passion and commitment rather than you know the super experience because ultimately it's 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 a numbers game we have so many vulnerable assets and, and somebody attacking us needs to just compromise one, one person, one server. We don't know which one, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. I mean, just go to Shodan. You can find all the public facing <laughs> endpoints you want. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, we are, we're not so good at, at basic security. And we, why would it take five years of experience in the CISG to even do some of the basic things? I, don't, I argue that we don't need that. And so if, if you hire somebody or train somebody on your own, that's great. And we just need more of that. We need scaling. We need like a million people to do this. Mm-hmm. And uh, I would love to see a change in the mindset of people within the, the security industry to really challenge themselves, ourselves, and hold a mirror up to our industry and just say, like, how are we 
through our inactions, contributing to the cybercrime, the activity that we mm. see, and to the success of cybercriminals. And then how is that going to affect your future? Because if you care anything about your future or your children's future, you want to see a world without cybercrime, trust me. It's like, I know this isn't a perfect analogy because the forces are different and the threats are different, but think about anytime there's an airplane crash, the NTSB comes in, the FAA comes in, you know, the, the airlines have a little tent set up for the victim's families. Like every, everyone has a role to play, but at the end of the day, they never want to see that happen again. Right? No. They put together the plane out of all the pieces and they're like, what happened here? Right. And they try not to ever happen again. And then they create rules and guidelines and, and they do different kinds of tests and training and what are we doing that's similar in cybersecurity? Like nothing. We don't even share our postmortems. Cybersecurity is the victimless crime or uh, or has been seen. As or is it? Right. Crime. Or is it? You know, are you really just stealing data that's hurting companies or is it really affecting people around the world? Because now your information is out there. You can, you know, get a loan or a mortgage in someone else's name and then they are permanently affected because their credit scores are down. Like there's so many different downstream implications that we don't think about. And now that we know that you can um, attack the the operational technology, the OT stuff, right? Like you're, you've got all that stuff that actually hurts the physical world. Mm-hmm. The, that is, is scarier and getting more scary. It's not just credit cards and a target breach. It's it's like the colonial pipeline. Yeah, it's, it's, it's attacking. It's actually the ransom is, is probably the most scary thing because it's so simple to deliver. So simple, it's an attack yeah. so simple to deliver and yeah. so effective. Uh, I mean, it's, it's basically anything that we're talking about of recent together with the supply chain uh, mm-hmm. breaches because attackers are getting more clever. Oh, I'm attacking are. a big bank yeah. when I can attack the HVAC supplier or uh, I don't know, another another supplier that maybe have access to their network yeah. directly, uh, like the vending machine, <laughs> Yeah, snack vending machine. Oh and my gosh, exactly, yeah. Or, I saw or, uh, snack vending machine connected yep. to the main network. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Gee, I wonder what that's. I mean, that's how Target, the Target breach happened, right? It wasn't an HVAC vendor had credentials into like yeah. the SQL system. I don't even know, but that that's too much. So those are security principles that will always be true. Least access, least privilege, right? Like risk management, vendor risk management, all that stuff is still true. And I don't see someone who needs to be an expert in order to uncover that kind of risk. I think we need diversity of thought to help us ask the right questions. And my opera singer is doing it right now. Like she has challenged me so much to just challenge my own assumptions. And that it, and I will uh, even say like, I didn't think she could do it. I didn't think she could get a full-time job in cybersecurity. Cause even to me, I was like, maybe it's just a little too little. Like, like, did I just pick someone who is like, you know, very Too like much. just barely like I thought to myself, I'm like, oh, there's this is going to be way overhead. But no, she uh, is just changing my expectations all the time where I'm like, oh, so you know exactly what this. Oh, yeah, of course. So it's like, oh, you know, like to me, I'm like, dang, this is a. Uh, a lot easier than I thought, like, or, or she's just a very incredibly smart person, but this is the second time I've done it. So I can't be that good of a, a teacher, right? At some point you have to give credit to the students. And I think there's a lot of students out there that just needs a mentor or a chance or a space to, to work in. So, and we have, yeah. uh, we launched with Tanya Janka actually a few years ago, the mentoring Love her. to peer out, yeah. to peer fundamentally mentor and mentee, because it, it's so challenging. And and we haven't found a network to actually mentor cybersecurity people. Um, I was advising a few companies that they do training, and now they're starting a proper professional mentoring career for cyber, at least here in the UK. But there isn't any you know, forum where you can go and ask for mentoring. So we, we launched the hashtag Mentoring Monday, 
and we publish it every Monday to actually, well, <laughs> um, to pair up people with uh, their mentor and mentee. That's awesome. Yeah. And so many teams, so many groups are doing this where they try to set up mentees and stuff. And But you're right. There is no like centralized Structure. draft of, yeah, I, I understand why. Like we're very decentralized. We're like DNS this way. We don't have our own like leader. <laughs> it's actually, uh, cyber it's actually, joke. It's yeah. actually important to do mentorship because you learn yes. in two ways. You learn in two ways. You learn mm-hmm. as a mentor and you learn as a mentee because it's, it's tough. Yeah. It's not the easiest thing to teach somebody or to guide somebody or to, to generate. And, and sometimes you have the downfall of somebody that is really not interested. So That's true. Yeah, not everyone's meant to be a mentor. That's for sure. Or, if, or mentee. Yeah, I think some people in an immature way aren't ready to have a mentor, right, as a mentee. Yeah, so, uh, you know, but the, the best kind of growth that I've had personally is when I realized that I needed growth. Mm-hmm. And so to step back and say, I'm not a victim here. I'm like the common denominator in all my problems. And once I started realizing that, like, wait, maybe I'm the problem, right? Like I have something to work on. That's when I opened myself up to just being more vulnerable and um, accepting criticism, accepting ways of doing things better. And I just grew so much from it. I've My career has just kind of taken off, you know, where instead of holding myself back, it's like, let me see how I can get better and how I can help, have other people help me. If they see something that I need to work on, allow them to help me. I can't do this all on my own. And so I've met wonderful people like you, Francesco, right? Like I've met so many different people just to help me on my journey. I wish more people could see that and just say, you are not a perfect little creature. Uh, Mm -hmm. You don't know everything. So take what you do know and help contribute to the community by giving back, by being open up to have your own mentor, being part of a cybersecurity group where you can talk about issues, share best practices, and really build each other up. And what I'm seeing in our industry sometimes, especially on Twitter and social media, we see a lot of toxicity. And yeah. so I that disappoints me also. Flame war. Uh, so very all the time it's and we even have a name for it. it's called infosec drama yes. right like so we drama <laughs> clock hits zero oh my gosh oh my day. gosh oh my gosh yeah <laughs> so that's that's the thing like what are we really doing yes it feels good in the moment to like call each other out on the bs and yes there is a level of need for that but we don't constantly need to find the drama i think some people try to like create drama, drama. yeah in order I, to I like get more is, likes there, yeah. there is a lot of drama going on and there is probably there is a lot of people that search for that drama for a specific reason. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's reasons for it. I'm sure I'm not a psychologist, um, but I just hope like you think about why you, you need to do this and take a step back and be like, do I, am I really contributing to the cause here? Like by creating this drama, am I isolating and hurting other people who are supposed to be my teammates? Or do I want to spend that exact energy and build them up and make them a contributing member to the community instead of them being like forced out, right? Like how can I take this person the way they are? They're not 100% evil. There, no one is. Even Hitler wasn't 100% evil. I'm sure he had people liking him for certain reasons. <laughs> but, but like, think about how you're you're hurting somebody and and canceling them just because you think that they're one way. But really, they're a complex individual just like you are. And mm-hmm. you, person, are not 100% angelic either. Just like the other person isn't 100% evil. So take what they are and meet them halfway and just say, let, let me understand why you did this or or uh, said this thing or treated someone this way, or at least seemed to do it this way, right? I'm sure they have a reasonable answer. And I, it always comes down to this. Whenever someone you know attacks me as a person or attacks my opinions, right, or, or has right. something negative to say, like I always think about this way, is this a reasonable response to a person with that experience or that life, 
Right. And so when I think about it that way, yes, that, that is a reasonable response. That yeah. is something that I would have also had the same response to had I been in that person's shoes. And then you start getting this level of empathy with them. You say, okay, help me understand why you said that. Or yeah, like, exactly. well, yeah, explain, explain you mentioned more. mentioned the key word that is empathy and empathy. Taking, I have the... I have the 10 step back uh, mindset and mindfulness. Whenever I want to talk, I, I count to 10, I breathe in, and then I, <laughs> I formulate the response. Uh, but that requires patience and empathy. Oh, it's and, so much growth. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's so easy to attack someone. It's so easy to call names. It's much, much harder to see where they're on like, and try to understand and grow from that. Because I can tell you, once you start realizing that you yourself will be open up to so many wonderful things to happen in your life. And so I am grateful for any kind of attack and conflicts and uh, differences in opinion, right? Like I am happy for that because, and I wish to see it because that to me shows their level, which is a reasonable response based mm-hmm. off of their personal lived experiences. It's a reasonable response to my reasonable response and help me understand how they got there. The more I understand other people, the more I can actually affect change in something that I want to do. It's a little bit like social engineering, just a long way around. It's good just being human and being empathic. <laughs> It's like being a human. Yes, yes, it is. It is. And I enjoy it. It's part of the human experience. I love uh, when someone respectfully challenges an opinion. I'm just like, oh, that's a really good way of saying it. And I've had my mindset changed all the time just because of what someone said, right? Like um, I've had challenges given to me personally and be like, are you sure it's this way? I'm like, actually, I'm not. Like, this is my opinion, but I'm happy to have it changed, Mm -hmm. right? I just want to talk to you about it instead of the name calling and the whatever they try to do. But yeah, that's all. That's that's great. But if if you can if you can maybe think about uh, circling back to to how you grew into into cyber and how you went into that journey. If there was the one thing that that uh, kind of attracted you in cyber, or you stumble across cyber just by chance, what was the one thing, or maybe a few things that uh, led you to uh, a career in cyber? Mm. I would say it probably wasn't an accident. Okay, so long, <laughs> long, long story. I've only ever wanted to be an FBI agent. Like even All today, right. I would love to, right? But I've I've passed the age apparently. Too old to be an FBI age? agent. There is. I think it's thirty-seven or thirty-six. All right. So I'm beyond that. But when I was little, age eleven, I remember exactly where I was in the car driving with my dad to swim practice. And I said, I know what I want to be. I know what I want to be when I grow up. And he said, what? And I said, an FBI agent, right? Like, even though I didn't know what one really did, but up until then, I read all, all the Nancy Drew books. I loved detective work. I love figuring out puzzles. And I guess that's just my personality. And I was like, I'm going to be an FBI agent. So my entire growing up, my childhood was with that focus. It's everything I did or didn't do. I didn't go out partying and drinking and everything and having random hookups. Like I, I studied engineering. I got a good job. Like every single thing was a step to my career in the FBI. Mm-hmm. I even took different kinds of jujitsu and kung fu and oh, all these kind of really things. Committed. <laughs> uh, I took gun shooting lessons. Like I was very prepared. I'm telling, I'm telling you, I was a very prepared. So by the time I hit 30, I applied. I actually got in. It took like two years, the entire process. I took wow. the PFT one too many times, but I was very fit by the end of it, by the way. But by the end of it, uh, the only reason why I couldn't get a, uh, why I couldn't go to Quantico. And by the way, my start date would have been uh, D-Day uh, oh, wow. 2010. Perfect. Yeah. So it would have been June 6, 2010. So I even remember that I had everything purchased. I got my, my boxing gloves and my, sh- my shorts and like, you know, all the things. like I had everything almost packed by then. And I was two weeks away when I got a call from the, um, the, the field office I was working for. And they were like, 
uh, yeah, you we're going to redo your background check. So don't resign yet. Cause I had literally just printed out my resignation had literally just walked back from the desk mm-hmm. that I had placed it on. It was a Friday evening. And I remember getting a call from the FBI and they said, don't resign. We are going to redo your background check. And my heart just sank. I just knew oh, wow. deep down that I wasn't going to get the adjudication. That's what that was called. So mm-hmm. I had passed adjudication, but they wanted to redo it because long story short, my grandfather was uh, fighting against the Chinese government and he was a spy and blah, blah, blah. And so like, they didn't like to see that in my history. So I was like, oh, whatever. No. so even though I know nobody in China, the problem was foreign influence. They thought that I had too much foreign influence. I was like, okay, whatever. <laughs> uh-huh. That is also false. I don't know any Chinese people um, like, like nationals. I don't know anyone. I also don't speak the language. So, okay. Go figure. Anyway, I wasn't able to get in the FBI. Long story short, I still want to help people. So it was either that or the Marine Corps. I decided to stay with security. By then, I had already been doing security. And by the way, being in security was part of my journey to be in cyber, uh, to be in the cybercrime unit mm-hmm. over in the FBI. So my entire life path has led me to the FBI. The fact that I wasn't able to um, start as an FBI agent just said, okay, that's a setback, but I can still help the world by doing cybersecurity. And by then I had already been in cybersecurity for a while. So and you're still uh, just helping people. Doing. Maybe you're touching more life right now with your comment tweet and you know, breaking the barriers and changing lives than you could have done. I'm sorry about the FBI. I didn't know hmm. it's an interesting story. And yeah. Yeah. It's, I grieved for quite a long time. I will say it, it rocked me to my core. Cause I was just so convinced that's what I was right. on this earth to do. But now that I know it, I think about it, wait a second, maybe my reason is to fight against cybercrime in any way possible. I don't have to be working in a field office in Washington to try to take down APT groups. I can do that through other ways. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Through building up the community of cybersecurity professionals. So I'm like, Hey, maybe my, maybe I was right about my, my life goal, but, or my life mission or whatever, but maybe I just, I'm just going to do it a different way. Yeah. So I'm like, Oh, and that just recently came to me where I'm like, Oh, so that's the reason why I didn't get in the FBI. Right. Like, but I still have a mission is to win the war on cybercrime uh, through breaking down the gates in cybersecurity. That's brilliant. And yeah. we are just about time. So I want to, well, we talk a, little, a lot about positivity in, 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 the, in, in the latest five, 10 minutes, but I want you to leave everybody with a very positive message on cyber, on the community, or you choose, but we, we, we love, we have this tradition to leave everybody with a very warm feel, oh, I love that. feeling. Yeah. And I'm such a huge fan of your podcast. Thank you so much for sharing your mic. Uh, I don't want to steal anyone else's and I haven't listened to all your episodes, <laughs> but this is probably uh, a repeat, but be kind, love one another. It's the simplest command, but it, uh, it does the most impact. So if you at any point recognize that maybe a stranger, you only know them for three seconds of your entire life, you'll never see them again. Why not leave them with a good impression of you? Like be kind, uh, and and treat others like you would like to be treated. And, and it makes the world a better place. Naomi, thank you so much. This was not only inspirational, but also uh, informational, or actually it was supposed to be the other way around, but it's <laughs> not the wrong way. <laughs> but it's been probably the most inspirational uh, podcast that I had. So thank you so much oh, for coming so on the much. show. I appreciate and it. It's Francesca. been a pleasure and hope everybody enjoyed this step into Naomi's life and Go out, mentor somebody, and be a better human. That's my my message to everybody. Somebody might not like it, but you know. (laughs) Thanks for listening, everyone. Thank you. See ya, and stay safe. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. 
please leave us a review on Apple Podcast and post it on social media tagging Cybersecurity Cloud Podcast for a chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card. Discover other episodes at www.cybersecuritypodcast.com.